This is the Community Connection, a podcast from Community Baptist Church in South Bend, Indiana. The purpose of this podcast is to better equip our church family to do the ministry of the gospel where God has planted us. Benjamin, today we are talking about reading the Bible carefully. Only my mother calls me Benjamin. Or unless you're in trouble. Every, once, my mother. <laughs> every once in a while when I have to yell at you here in the office, I have to refer to you as Benjamin in order to get your attention. Just, just all over the place. I just can't pay attention long enough to hear the, the rebukes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, Ben, we're talking about reading the Bible carefully. And actually, we're going to have to, I'm going to have to let you talk for a minute because I just realized I left my Bible in my office. <laughs> So why don't you uh, why don't you tell us about our sponsor for this podcast while I go grab uh, grab the word? Our sponsor for this podcast is every translator of the Bible from the original Greek into English because we believe in understanding the Bible carefully. So we are in full support of translators helping us understand the Bible word for word. And Pastor Joe doesn't believe that. He doesn't believe that it's important to understand the Bible carefully and accurately. Um, oh wait, he's back. Okay, I'm back. Who is our sponsor? Our sponsor was every translator of the Bible from the original languages into English. Every translator? (laughs) Every translator ever? Even the dead ones. (laughs) They have reached out and and asked. Generously donated of their graces and gifts to make this podcast possible. They have donated their efforts to make this podcast possible as we hold uh, many translations in our pocket on the the old iPhone and iPad and... One translation in my lap, that's the Bible that we preach from. The translation we preach from here, the English Standard Version. Okay, um, so I'm going to get this thing started, talking about reading the Bible, Bible carefully. And I think it's important that we build a foundation and recognize that the Bible is inspired by God. Um, but we believe in something very specific that I'd like to explain as we start out here. And that is verbal, plenary, or plenary, depending on how you want to pronounce it, verbal, Plenary inspiration. That means that inspiration means God breathed. That means that God breathed out the words of Scripture. Um, maybe a better term would be expiration because he breathed out the words of Scripture. But since the word isn't expiration, since it's inspiration, we use the word inspiration. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, a, a, a breathing out of God. But it's not as though the Bible just in general is inspired. It's that every word, so then verbal, that means the words of the Bible, not just the concepts, not just the big ideas, but but the words of the Bible are inspired. And then perhaps you would ask the question, how many of the words are inspired or to, to what extent are the words inspired? And then we would use the word plenary. So verbal, the words plenary, meaning to a to to the extent of every single word to the extent of the tenses of the words to to the to the singular whether the word is singular or plural um, all of that is wrapped up in the inspiration of scripture and that is breathed out by God I think it's helpful for us to understand right at this juncture that the inspiration of scripture and the the inspiration of the words of scripture as being inerrant and infallible, um, necessarily carries with it the content and meaning of those words in its context. Yes. 
And the reason that that's important, and we've talked about this even just a little bit this week, and <clears throat> some things I've encountered with uh, different pastors on the internet and different Bible teachers who try to tell things about the Bible online, very often they will say things like, well, this particular word appears so many times in the Bible, and we see this word all the time in Scripture, but because they've assigned a meaning to that word that's not influenced by the context, and they take their preconception of the meaning carried by that word um, uh, based on their own assumptions rather than allowing the, the context of the word, the author's intent to give the meaning to the word, they've come to some wrong conclusions about the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And so I think just, just as a, a, a kind of a philosophical point, words are vehicles for meaning. And God inspired the words that he did because of a very specific meaning that the author intended in the context of that word's use. Correct. So I'm going to give you an illustration and see if this see if this is on par with what you're thinking. Because so sometimes I can't tell what you're thinking, so I have to give an illustration to see if. That's this why is I try to thinking. use words so that what's inside my brain <laughs> is becoming external, so that other people can observe that so and I judge wanna, it. Yes. I want to give an example of what you just said, and you can tell me whether or not I am correct or incorrect. It's not correct, but go ahead. It's not correct. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Samuel, as I'm listening to the Old Testament through uh, through the Bible this year, we just finished Saul just died, and and David's picking up the reins. But when Samuel confronts Saul, he says, "Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft." Okay, what you're saying is what we don't want to do is say, "I'm just going to pull this arbitrarily out of my mind." Okay, um, rebellion is used 13 times. When you turn 13 is when you become rebellious because rebellion is used 13 times in the Bible. That would be an incorrect use of saying that words are inspired by God in the Bible that way. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So so that's one aspect of it. That's one aspect of it. I'm I'm just saying, I'm just looking at really weird things that people say about the Bible. Yes. Rebellions mentions 13 times. Right. When you're 13 years old is when you, is is the height of your rebellion because it's when you enter into your teenage years and we try to somehow support that with the Bible rather than saying, no, when we look at that word rebellion, it could be used 100 times in scripture, it could be used 13 times, whatever it is. Um, but when we look, look at that word rebellion, what he's communicating is that this type of rebellion that Saul was participating in, in putting himself in and going against God's commandments and going against God's plan is the exact same thing that those who are practicing witchcraft are doing. Sure. So sure. we're rather than looking into the meaning of what that word is communicating in the context, right. we're coming up with some arbitrary use of it. Right. And we're saying, well, God inspired it, so it must be true if I come up with my own uses. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think that along with that, there's just a, when we come to our English Bibles, we're not coming as blank slates on which the Bible imprints its message. We're coming to the English Bible with preconceptions of what certain words mean. And sometimes it takes a lot of work for us to disentangle ourselves from our, our presuppositions about what a word means and to allow the Bible's context to inflect a new meaning to that word. So for instance, uh, the, like the word faith, um, very often in our context, in kind of our uh, uh, pseudo-spiritual Western culture, that's mostly secularist, materialist, but just kind of has this kind of uh, sort of surface level spirituality associated with it a lot of times to have faith 
has to do with a particular emotional state of spiritual connection. I'm, I'm connecting spiritually to some sort of vibe or force. And so for me to have faith in God it has to do with me connecting with something that's inside of me that has like a spiritual nature to it. It's me kind of resting in things I can't understand. And yeah, there's a mystical experience involved. And uh, generally, that's that's not at all how the Bible uses the word faith. Now, obviously, the Bible is written in Greek, but faith is the right translation of those words, pistis, pistos, um, so on and so forth. Um, but, but sometimes it takes a, some work, and sometimes we don't even realize that, oh, man, I didn't realize that when the Bible uses the word faith, it doesn't have anything to do with me connecting with some sort of uh, um, an unseen, unexplainable experience or phenomenon inside myself. Rather, me having faith is me having a dependence on words that God has spoken that I can't verify or vindicate in the external world immediately. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? So, and those are, those are two different meanings. They're both legitimate meanings based on usage. And so faith is the right word, but it, all this to say, when we're studying the Bible, it's important to understand that the words are inspired. So the words in the original languages are the right words, but we have to work very hard to make sure that we don't import our understanding of other kinds of meanings into the words that are translated in our English Bibles. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like when it says Abraham was a friend of God, right? We don't yes. want to say, Oh, Oh, well, God's my buddy, buddy, or as some people say, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend. Certainly, yeah, there there, there are right and wrong ways to understand the concept of friendship, and we need to understand in what sense this was. Exactly. I think this this brings up probably one of the most important, helpful uh, places to begin with something like this, and that is that we, um, we interpret Scripture with Scripture. Yes. That begins in kind of tiny little circles and then expands in concentric circles out to the rest of scripture. So for instance, whenever we're wanting to understand what does a particular word mean, we look in the immediate context. How is the author using that in the greater context of the sentence, the paragraph, series of paragraphs, chapter, book, so on and so forth, um, until we reach all of scripture. And so we want to understand, okay, how, do, how is friend used? How is faith used? Let's look at how Paul's using mm-hmm. faith in this particular verse. Is this influenced by anything else? He says, does he associate faith with any other words in the surrounding context? What's his driving argument through several chapters to reach this particular word or this particular point? And then what are the other truths throughout scripture that will bring light or understanding to bear upon this word. So we we interpret scripture with scripture, moving outward from that immediate source to surrounding context all the way to the extent of scripture. Yeah, and so in that we would say that um, we never want to ask the question, what does this mean to me? Right. Like, it's, it's not a legitimate Bible study format to say, when I read this, what comes to mind? Yeah. How does this make me feel? What are some things that... When I like when I read the word Abraham was a friend of God, what comes to mind? Well, I had this friend once. Okay, well, well, that's nice, but but that's not what that's referring to, right? You know, or or faith. Oh, well, yeah, like, like the mystical feelings, emotional based. We we want to look in and we want to say, all right, what is this passage exactly like? What you just said. What is this passage? What are these? What was the author's intent that this concept would be that they're communicating here? Right. You know, and and, we, and I did this on Sunday. I think is one of the reasons why this is fresh on our minds. Um, uh, care, the careful reading of Scripture is that in my sermon on Sunday, we just went word 
by word in, in John 1, 1. And we recognize that when John says in the beginning, he's drawing the attention, interpreting scripture with scripture to Genesis 1, 1. It's the exact same phrase. Such that you would say you can't understand John 1, 1 unless you allow the rest of the scriptures to color and shade your understanding of that. Through his allusions to Genesis and to other writings that John had, he begins in 1 John with the same sort of thing, that which was from the beginning. From the beginning, yep. Uh, And I want to be careful because I don't want to say you can't understand. I think what I would would probably be more comfortable saying in there is that um, if, if you don't have the knowledge of scripture as a backdrop for these passages, it's easy to misunderstand, and it's very easy to not um, to not understand all that he means by that. And the yeah. reason I want to be careful is because if there's someone who's just gotten saved and they're just learning to read the Bible, they can pick up John one one and they can understand what John is saying. Right. But they're not going to make the connections to the to the the depth of understanding the concepts of which he was trying to communicate to his original audience. And I'll use it this way: you know, right now uh, in in our minds, when we say the word COVID or twenty twenty, it it carries with it an immense amount of knowledge versus, you know, 20 years from now, when you talk to somebody who didn't go through it and you say the word 2020 or COVID, they're going to think in maybe a two sentence explanation of that, of, oh, that was when, you know, that was when the country went through a difficult time because uh, there was a virus that, that changed everything. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yep. And so it's not as though it can't be understood. But the depth of the meaning of what he's trying to communicate and the breadth of, of that is is uh, is not going to be able to be fully grasped. Let me ask you a question. Tell me what you think. Uh, this is just my mind's going in so many different directions right now. Sure. Um, do you think that maybe we sh- we tend to struggle? with uh, understanding the Bible accurately and well, because we approach our Bible reading from maybe a a, a faulty premise. And here's kind of my example of that. I think that there's a potential, and I think think I've seen this in conversations with people about Bible reading and um, how to study the Bible and things like that, but um, where where we almost view the Bible um, and our experience with the Bible, the way we would view a conversation with a friend mm-hmm. where, you know, like in a conversation with a friend, a lot of times it goes like, Hey, you know, so the other day I did this and then this thing happened to me and that was so crazy. And then, you know, the other person in the conversation responds, Oh yeah, I remember another time when something similar happened to me where I experienced this. And there's kind of like a, 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 a revolving door of entries upon a central subject where sometimes we maybe even we read the Bible and say, oh, if Abraham was a friend of God, you know what? I have had friends before. And it's almost like God contributes something to a conversation, and then I say my bit about it. And there's kind of like the relationship is based on this uh, this faulty understanding that God speaks, and then I speak. And then God says something, and that's relatable to me because of X, Y, or Z. When in reality, the, re- the way we come to Scripture is... I come with silence Mm -hmm. and God teaches me. He's the contributor to this. My contribution to this is to understand and believe Um, rather than to say that God and I are speaking on equal grounds kind of around a central subject. Maybe I'm totally misreading some mindsets there. I think there are two things that that my mind goes to, and there are more than two. I don't ever want to 
to be a reductionist, right? And, and, and reduce it to a, to just two things. I think there are a lot of aspects. I think there are two, um, um, maybe traps that I have fallen into into the past and that I can see other people falling into as well. One is that I read the Bible as an empiricist through my own experiences, like Mm -hmm. what you're saying. Um, And so what that would mean is that would mean that when I read scripture, I am constantly making a judgment call of whether things are good or bad based on what I've experienced, whether I like it or not based on what I've experienced or whether it's true or not whether I've experienced it. Well, that's not true. I've never experienced that. Or, well, that's not true because I've experienced the opposite, something like that. Hmm. The other one would be that we approach Scripture forgetting that it was written by real people to real people. Like we don't understand that the Gospel of John was written by John to a group of people in the first century to communicate a very specific purpose. And that Paul wrote Romans to the believers who were at Rome that he wanted to go spend time with so badly, you know, or that Paul is writing to the believers at Colossae at a church or let's take Galatians, a group of churches in Galatia who are struggling with a very specific problem. And so when I read that letter, I'm reading it as a, as a pouring out of Paul's heart to real people for a specific purpose. And so I approach this not as a spectator. I don't ever want to be a spectator with scripture, but I approach this and I'm saying, okay, this, like, like what you're saying, I approach in silence, digesting and believing what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. And I'm not projecting the 21st century into it. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And, I, and I'm not using my experiences as some sort of argument as to whether or not I like it or whether or not it's true. Yeah. So we've been kind of, you know, a little bit all over the map, just kind of like talking about reasons why this is so important and maybe some of the mindsets that we come to this with. And it's difficult to honestly talk about this subject without um, uh, either being just kind of so... Uh, you know, all over the place that it it doesn't really provide much of a foundation, but we also don't have the time right now to get into like a full hermeneutics class. Mm -hmm. So what would you give maybe your top two or three uh, quick, you know, if you're going to do anything today, tomorrow, and this weekend, what are your top three do's and don'ts for how to study the Bible character carefully and, or to avoid common mistakes? You know what I'm saying? Like what are, what are your top two or three bullet points of do this, do this, don't do this in order to avoid the kinds of mistakes that people often make in, in failing to appreciate the carefulness we need to approach scripture with. Okay. So, oh man. Okay. So, so I've got about seven or eight floating in my mind right now. (laughs) Maybe top five then. Okay. So let's do, let's do top three. Okay. Number one, Slow down. Hmm. Slow down. Um, how do you do that? That's okay, so, difficult so, to so, do. So, so how you do that is you get a Bible that's written in paragraphs. Okay. And you start at the beginning. You go paragraph by paragraph. And then, but but I like like maybe if I'm going to read in John 1, I'm going to just read the first paragraph is John 1, 1 through 5. Okay. And I'm going to read and reread that and reread that until I understand everything that he's talking about and I understand what my question should be. Hmm. And and the way I do this when I study is I actually write it out by hand. Hmm. So this week I wrote out in my Bible study, I wrote out verses 2 through all the way through verse 11 word for word by hand 
so that as I'm writing, there are things coming out. Well, why do I do that? Well, I do that because it makes me slow down. Mm-hmm. I do my my all my original sermon prep by hand because it makes me slow down. Not because there's something inherently spiritual about handwriting, mm-hmm. you know, or about the color of ink that I'm using or the type of pen. Although I have opinions on all those things, right? <laughs> but 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 because we'll do that another time, yeah, yeah, it makes me slow down. Mm-hmm. And the reason why this is important, I think, is because this is the mistake that the um, – I'm going to read a passage for you in Mark, Mark 12. This is the mistakes the Pharisees made in Mark 12 is that um, Jesus was teaching in the temple, and he's getting all of these questions from the scribes and the Pharisees that come up. The the um, Let's see here. All the way back in uh, – in verse 13 of chapter 12, they sent some of the Pharisees, some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. They're asking him, teachers, teacher, we know that you're true. Um, verse 18, the Sadducees came to him asking about the resurrection, obviously, because that was their big tripping point because they didn't read the Bible carefully. Uh, the scribes came up in verse 28 and asked question, question after question after question. Then Jesus turns and he teaches and he asks them a question. He says, how can the scribes say that Jesus... Uh, I'm sorry, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And then he has them slow down and look carefully. And he says, David himself calls his son his Lord. How is he his son? Hmm. And all he did, what Jesus did, is he took Psalm 110 and he he told them to slow down and read it carefully and ask good questions. Mm-hmm. And so, so my first thing is going to be slow down. My second one is going to be pay attention to, to details of, of exactly what's happening. And I'm going to tie that to um, Galatians 3.16 where Paul makes an entire argument about what the interpretation of a passage should be, whether or not something is singular or plural. Galatians uh, 3.16 he says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but offspring, referring to one. Hmm. And so what he's saying is read carefully. And so we go back to John 1, which is on my mind because we're preaching through it. In the beginning was the word, right? And so when we slow down, we ask the question carefully, why would he use the word, word? But then that little word was, it doesn't say is going to be the word or became the word. It's a statement of being. The word was present before creation. Boom. You know, things like that mm-hmm. where, where you slow down, you pay attention to details. Mm-hmm. So read carefully, slow down, pay attention to details, ask good questions. What is that for? Something like that. And one more would be um, get a good um, study Bible or commentary and have a conversation with it. For me, study Bible is 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 number one, especially huge working with teens. I I don't think I, I think a study Bible is a non negotiable. Interesting. I think if you are a Christian and you're serious about understanding the Bible, you need to get a study Bible. Yep. Period. Um, because to be frank, with the number of hours that you work and the number of things you have going on in your life, you don't have the time to become a biblical scholar and 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 grow and understand all of these things really well. A study Bible yep. is literally written by biblical scholars so that you don't have to, to do you. the work that they did, so that they can help you in the most efficient Good. manner possible. I think that if you are a parent and you have a child 
who is at a fifth grade reading level or above, they need to have a study Bible. Good study Bibles would be, let's name them off. There's ESV study Bible, ESV which is study really Bible, good. MacArthur study MacArthur Bible, study really Bible. Good. Those are, those are study Bibles that, that work through the individual words and phrases. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, beyond that, uh, the, the Reformation study Bible Perfect. is excellent. Um, I'm surprised that, you like that one. Pers- well, it's put out by, <laughs> e- uh, by Ligonier. I'm just uh, kidding. Ligonier's is very good. Uh, the gospel transformation study Bible is my number one devotional study. Bible. I have that. I love it. Yeah. Um, so I think a study Bible is a non-negotiable. My number two is um, I always, always, always work to understand the prepositions and conjunctions. And if that sounds like a lot of boring English, but it is the most important part of your Bible. Um, nouns have ideas, verbs describe what happens with those ideas, but the prepositions and the conjunctions describe the relationships between the actions and the ideas. But... And um, it, no, well, so that because of in, through, by, which, yep. so, you know, the Sunday in our Sunday school class with the teens, we're in Romans chapter number five and Paul says, and we, not only that, but we rejoice in afflictions because it, afflictions produce endurance and endurance produces faithfulness and faithfulness produces hope. And this hope doesn't put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. And there's a lot of mm-hmm. words there. There's affliction, joy, hope, rejoicing, mm-hmm. endurance, experience, the Holy Spirit, love, all of these things. But what's the relationship between all of those things? Mm-hmm. Um, how do they relate to one another? Which one comes first? Uh, do, does this automatically produce this. And so all the details that you're talking about more often than not get wrapped up in the prepositions of through, by, in, among, around, under, you know, all of those things. So understand those prepositions and conjunctions. Um, I think if you, if you do that, if you're committed to uh, reading the notes of a study Bible, um, just as, as you read a passage of scripture, just always at least check the notes of the study Bible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Just, just, you know, I think a lot of people get intimidated to read their Bibles so they don't read. Just start reading. Yeah. Here's the here's the if somebody's listening to this and they feel a little bit overwhelmed, here's what I'll tell you. You have your whole life to master one book. Mm-hmm. So just read it. Mm-hmm. Read it and seek to understand it. And you know what? They're going to get some things wrong. I've gotten things wrong. I've preached concepts that I have to go back later and say, you know, last time I preached this, I I don't think I really explained this right, or I may have actually referenced something that I that, that right. wasn't totally accurate. That's okay. Get in, just read the Bible, and the more you read the Bible, the more you will understand it. Mm-hmm. Slow down. Get get a good study Bible. Have a conversation with that study Bible, and let the Word speak to you based on the concepts that it's that it's communicating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is really helpful, and I think a careful reading of the Bible will totally change people's lives. Yeah. It is the glory of God through the pages of scripture that changes us. Mm. And so pick up a Bible and uh, and just begin to read. Let's let's reference maybe some translations that would be helpful. We use the English Standard Version here to, to preach and teach from. Um, very easy to find, common translation. You can find them just about anywhere. Um, translations that would be helpful for people to read. The NASB. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let's see here. The Christian standard Bible, Christian standard Bible is a newer translation. It's a great translation. The new living translation is written for people who's it's very simple and conversational so that if English isn't your first language, it's, it's a much easier to understand it's that way. Mm -hmm. All these are, are good translations to, uh, to just pick up and read and understand and a careful, careful. It's, it's hard to, uh, overstate 
the importance of this in the Christian life, careful reading of the Word of God.